Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative and creative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in ranch brokerage and land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, adventurers, pretty much anyone who's doing important work and has an interesting story to tell. My guest today is Jason Rich. Jason is a Utah-based artist whose extraordinary paintings of life in the American West have made him one of the most popular and respected working artists today. Throughout his 20-year career, Jason has won countless awards and is represented by some of the most prestigious galleries in the West. But what is more telling is the respect and admiration he has earned from many of his cowboy artist contemporaries. As you'll hear, Jason is amazingly humble, gracious, and grateful for his career in professional art. Growing up in Idaho, art has been a central part of Jason's life for as long as he can remember. He was formally educated as an artist, and immediately after graduate school, he committed himself fully to painting professionally. Thanks to his focus, work ethic, and the support of his wife, Jason was able to carve out a niche for himself in the competitive world of Western art. Now, two decades later, Jason's popularity continues to grow, which is partly a product of his constant drive to push outside his comfort zone and mature as an artist. Jason and I had a fun conversation. We dug deep into the many aspects of his life as an artist, family man, and admirer of the American West. We discussed his upbringing in Idaho and how he developed the confidence and skills to go directly from grad school to professional art. We chatted about his techniques for challenging himself as an artist and how his work has evolved over the last two decades. We also discussed his association with the prestigious Cowboy Artists of America and how spending time with other talented artists has positively influenced his work. We talk about mentors, favorite books, favorite artists, and much more. So be sure to check out the episode notes for a complete list of everything we discussed. Thanks again to Jason for taking the time to chat. Hope you enjoy. The, the first question I ask people when I'm doing these podcasts is when you meet somebody for the first time and they ask you that question, what do you do? How do you answer that? <laughs> uh, that uh, that's a great question. And I think it, it kind of changes depending on your time of life, right? But mm-hmm. uh, you, I guess if you're thinking specifically uh, career, <laughs> Um, you know, it's, you know, I I love saying I'm an artist. It's a unique thing. It it, uh, sparks conversation and, and people are curious and it allows me to talk about it and, and share what I do with people. Uh, you know, I recognize that it's, it's a little unique, you know, that way. Um, um, but, uh, it's awesome. I I love it. I, I love the lifestyle. I love the, uh, opportunities it's given my wife and I and our family to, to do some pretty unique things. And, uh, the people that we've met, uh, by being a part of the Western art world, uh, it's just been incredible. We've, we've loved the, loved the journey, loved the ride so far. So can you just give a, a kind of a quick overview of how you describe your art? Because it's, it's amazingly unique and it's beautiful and I'm not enough of an artist to, to really fully describe it well. So could you, could you just kind of give an overview of, of your work? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's kind of a combination, uh, well, and it changes too, but, uh, a combination of, uh, impressionistic, uh, realism, I would say, uh, as I portray the subject matter that I've chosen. Uh, but as far as the style, I guess, you know, I, I do cowboy Western, uh, primarily, uh, right now. So I'm trying to portray the, the West and the, the lifestyle of, 
of the West uh, as far as the people and uh, the landscape and animals, you name it, you know. Uh, but the, but the style is, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly recognizable. I want things to look like what they're supposed to. So it's realistic in that way, but the application of the paint, uh, is, uh, is more impressionistic. Uh, it can be described, I guess, as kind of loose and painterly. Uh, it's not uh, photo real, uh, by any means. So, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to capture, uh, that impression, um, uh, of the subject that I'm trying to portray. Well, I want to dig into your artistic process and how you go about making these these beautiful works of art. But before we do that, I think it might be best to kind of start at the very beginning. And, and where did you grow up? So I, I grew up in a little town, Preston, Idaho, uh, southeastern uh, Idaho. And uh, a lot of people, re- <laughs> a lot of people now know it because of the movie uh, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> That's what it's become famous for. I didn't real. I didn't put that together, but now I do. <laughs> um, so yeah, they. That, that's why a lot of people come to Preston. But it's just a beautiful little town at the north end of Cache Valley. Uh, we're right, just right on the Idaho Utah border. So um, just just a beautiful mountain valley, small town feel, and uh, a lot of opportunity to just uh, enjoy the country. And so. Are your parents from there as well, or did they move there? How long has your family been in the West? Um, you know, I, I, I come from just good old pioneer heritage, you know, and uh, my parents grew up the next valley over in the Bear Lake Valley, uh, even a smaller town called Paris, Idaho, so uh, not far away. Uh, but I spent my whole uh, growing up in Preston. My dad was a, an elementary school teacher for 38 years, and... Uh, and so I uh, grew up, uh, spent a lot of time in the schools uh, with him and waiting for him after school and playing basketball in the gym and doing all that. But uh, I grew up on about uh, 15 acres. Uh, and uh, my, like I said, my dad was an elementary school teacher, but he always dabbled in horses. So we always had horses. He, he It was kind of a just a fun hobby for him. We were always uh, uh, raising colts, breaking colts, and, and we did a lot of uh, showing uh, more, uh, in the arena, a combination of arena work and, uh, then just getting up in the heels, pleasure riding. Um, but I had a lot of relatives that, uh, grew up in the cowboy, uh, cowboy background. And so we spent a lot of time with them, especially in the summers, moving cows and doing that type of thing with them as well. So between you mentioned basketball and then the horses and was art always mixed in with all these other activities you were doing were you an artistic kid for as long as you can remember yeah one of those uh you heard it before i'm sure so that's just kind of the given i guess uh you know i don't remember exactly when i started just my parents just as soon as i could hold a pencil i was drawing and uh always had an affinity for horses like i said i just grew up around them and uh just uh just really uh, enjoyed them and being on them and around them. And it was, so it was a subject matter of everything that I drew uh, in those early years, but uh, yeah, constantly drawing. And when you were a child, did you think I want to be a, an artist when I grow up or, or were, were there other kind of career dreams that, that, you know, kids have like, you know, firemen or, or uh, <laughs> right, right. You know, a professional soldier or anything like that? Or, or was it always art? You know, I think deep down it really was always art. I, I didn't always know exactly what I could do with it, 
but I, I recognized that it was a gift I'd been given, and I kind of felt an obligation to uh, develop it and uh, pursue it and and see what would happen with it. Um, like I say, I didn't know exactly where it would take me, but uh, I think I always knew that I would do something uh, in the arts. And so when you were a kid and you, you showed that talent, what did your, did your parents do anything to encourage you to pursue that or was it, or did it not really take much encouragement from adults or was it kind of a, a combination of both? Um, it, it was a combination. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, uh, obviously. And so it's just something that I was naturally inclined to do, um, and uh, so my parents encouraged me as best they could with the resources they had. I mean, there were some local art teachers that, that I, I took lessons on or from uh, for a time here and there. Um, uh, but for the most part, I think uh, my education came once I got in the school system, especially in the middle school, high school. Uh, I had a good art teacher that was very um, uh, inspiring for me and motivational and helped, helped push me along there, too. Have you stayed in touch with that art teacher over the years? You know, actually, he's he's passed away, but uh, uh, certainly while he was alive, yeah, he was a big influence on my life, and uh, uh, especially later on as uh, I got into college, uh, my first degree was art education. Uh, oh, really? And a part of that was because of his influence in my life. I didn't realize that I could be doing what I'm doing now, and I thought, well, I'll be an art teacher. I, I, I want to do art, but I didn't. I didn't really know uh, what opportunities were out there for me. And so I pursued art education and uh, actually ended up uh, teaching back up in Preston for my student teaching slash internship. And uh, he had to take a year of medical leave. And so I filled in for him. Oh, cool. And uh, taught that year and, and got a really good taste of what it was going to be like to be an art teacher. And, and I enjoy teaching. Um, uh, but I did feel I, I was missing uh, the time doing art. You think you can do both. And I realized, you know, it's it's really tough. Uh, you either really dedicate uh, your time to those kids and teaching and you do your art as you can uh, or you pursue your art and, and you're a crummy teacher, you know. So, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I kind of fought with that and I had discussions uh, with my teacher there. And and he's like, you know, if you if you really want to pursue your dream of uh, being a painter and, and doing your art, he's like, just do it now. We, we were just living in a little basement apartment and and didn't have a lot to lose. And he's like, you know, it gets tougher later in life when the family comes along and you got a mortgage and all these obligations, it's tough to break away and, and pursue some of these dreams sometimes. And so he's like, you know, give it a shot now and see what happens. And so that's what we decided to do. And so did you go back to Utah State for grad school? Is that is that correct? I did. Yeah, uh, I went back and got my master's. Uh, even though my first degree was art education, the emphasis was illustration. And I went back and got my master's degree a fine art uh, in illustration. It, I, I felt it was the strongest program at the school at the time and, and was going to uh, serve my purposes better. And, and, and it was great experience uh, to do that. It, it, it motivated me to work and, and develop my, my skills and put, and put together a portfolio that I was eventually able to take out with me and, and approach uh, galleries and, and get into the, the gallery scene. So, when you left, just I'm not as familiar with the the business of the art world. So when you left graduate school, you had a portfolio that you could go out and take to take to um, galleries, and then basically start as a professional right then. Is that is that how it works? You just kind of shop these. Well, you know, it kind of did. You know, you talk about these uh, 
starving artist stories. And, and, and we certainly had some years there where we were trying to figure things out. But uh, that time in graduate school really allowed me uh, the, the chance to focus in on what I really wanted to do. You know, for my uh, graduate thesis, uh, there's a, a historical farm here in the valley, and, and uh, they run everything as if it was 1917. And and like I said, with my pioneer background, and I have a lot of farming and ranching in, in my ancestry and heritage, it's always something, it's just part of me, you know. And and so I was really drawn to that. And so I did my whole thesis, my whole body of work for my thesis was centered around this historical farm. Mm-hmm. And just it was a lot of fun painting the big teams as they're doing their spring plowing and and the threshing and the hay and just the, the women, uh, and the work that they were doing, uh, the gardens. And it just, it just allowed for a nice variety of subject matter. And, uh, and that was my focus, uh, for my masters. But at the same time, I was starting to do more of the, the cowboy Western, uh, wildlife and, and different things along with that. So by the time I graduated, I was, I was pretty focused in what I wanted to do. And uh, like I say, had a portfolio together and, and was able to approach uh, some galleries. That's kind of how we did it back then. Took a what we call the tear sheet images of your paintings, or you could take slides in, you know, uh, for them to project and look at. And uh, we headed up to Jackson, Wyoming first uh, to the the art market there. A lot of great galleries and things going on and, and approached some galleries. We were denied a few times, but uh, finally found a gallery that said, yeah, let's let's give this a shot and, and uh, offered to take on some of my work and see what could happen with it. And it and it just kind of grew from there. You know, when I when I think think about that and I hear the story, I, I imagine there were I don't know how many people were in your art art class, your class at art school, but I imagine it was a good number. And I imagine they were all very talented. What mm-hmm. do you think it was that allowed you to to make that jump from directly from art school into the the professional world. I mean, did you ever, did, you you obviously must have been had a, been been somewhat good at sales <laughs> to get in there and and talk with these <laughs> folks at the galleries because you know I, I imagine they're just overwhelmed with with artwork coming their way. So what do you think they saw in you other than just the raw talent that impressed them so much? Well, you know, you know, I don't really credit myself as being a, a great salesman. Uh, I, I always hope that the work will kind of sell itself, you yeah. know. But uh, to, to kind of answer your first question, being in school and, and what helped motivate me to get out there, just even to think that I could do it at, at, at such a young age. Uh, first off, we had a great professor, uh, Glenn Edwards, who's out in the working. He's retired from teaching now, and he's, he's just uh, working – painting and and selling his work in galleries now as well but he he was great at adapting to what was going on at the time you know the 90s when i was going through school was really unique with the transition from uh where everything was becoming computerized and going digital you know and prior to that utah state had a great uh, reputation in the illustration market um but computers and uh, photography was starting to change that. And he was willing to kind of adapt. And he saw how maybe the best opportunity now for some of these painters was to look at the galleries and just make a living painting uh, in that scene there. And and he adapted really well and helped us kind of find our way and, and figure out what we wanted to do. But uh, I, I have to credit another artist that I went to school with, uh, Luke Frazier, who was a wildlife painter. 
he's he's just a very self motivated guy and was determined that he was going to just start painting for uh, galleries uh, right out of school and and he he worked at it and he did it and and the rest of us you know we were a couple of years behind him but we saw how that worked out for him and we thought hey you know maybe there is something to this and hey you know if Luke can do it maybe I can do it type of an attitude and and it's amazing the number of artists that are working full time now painting. Uh, that came out of uh, kind of that decade of the 90s uh, when Glenn was teaching and just kind of started a whole whole movement there. And, and there are a lot of great great painters and artists that came out of Utah State at that time. That's really neat. Um, so you, know, you obviously had success you know, pretty pretty quickly out of school, but I imagine at, at, at some point during that or early on, you thought, "Wow, this is this is just amazing." Was there a but was there a point when you were able to kind of be comfortable with being a professional artist, like you knew you you could make a living doing this and that it would work as a career. And you and if there was that time, was it was it the result of one single event, like one show you got in, or was it more the result of one small success built on top of the other? You know, over over a few years. Yeah, you know, I mean, looking back, it seems like it happened fast, but at the time. Uh, you know, it felt more like a process and, you know, there for a while, my wife, she, she's a, a graphic designer. She was working for a design firm and she'd work in the mornings. And then uh, by then we had our first daughter and, and I was home watching her getting done what I could. But then my wife would come home and I'd paint all afternoon and evening type of thing. And at some point, and I don't know if it's just naivety or, or what, but we thought, hey, maybe we can do this. I don't know. Uh but uh, she decided to quit and stay home and allow me more time to work. And uh, by then, uh, you know, I had approached the gallery in Jackson and and we were moving a few things there um, and uh, approached the gallery in Park City. Actually, I think they called us and had seen a work that was going out and asked if they could come visit us. And uh, like I said, we were in this little basement apartment uh, below a law firm and it was it was nothing special. <laughs> And I remember here they are going to come from this gallery in Park City and they want to come and see us and see my work. And we are scrambling, trying to decide how we were going to present the work and not look like a couple of students, you know, (laughs) just getting started. And and in the end, we decided, well, you know, uh, this is who we are. And so I guess if they can't accept that, then and we're not a fit, then so be it. But they were so kind and generous. They came down in this basement apartment. She's in her furs, I remember, and the whole deal and dressed really nice and I just had my painting set out, leaning against the couch on the floor, and she came down and sat down cross-legged right in front of him and was looking at him really close. And they they, they were great, and, and we developed a great relationship with them. And uh, they took our work and really promoted it well and, and allowed us to get, uh, you know, a great thing going. Um, but uh, I know uh, in 97, in, uh, 98, uh, there was a competition called Arts for the Parks. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I've heard of that. Uh, it was kind of <clears throat> home base was there in Jackson, Wyoming, and that's where they had the show out of the Jackson Lake Lodge. But it was kind of a big deal back then, and, and it was an opportunity for artists to uh, use their art to portray different national parks throughout the country. And uh, so there's a lot of different imagery from uh, – landscape to wildlife and figures, you name it, you know, as you portray the different national parks from back east to the west, whatever their different regions that were covered. And and we entered that for a couple of years uh, and were accepted into it. But uh, I think it was 97, the fall of 97, that 
we had the show and we and we won that arts for the parks competition and at the time it was a a fifty thousand dollar grand prize wow and so for a couple of newly graduated students with a new daughter living in a basement i mean it was just like we'd hit the lottery (laughs) and uh and uh and and so financially it kind of gave us a boost to to get a start but it also uh uh, just brought some great exposure and, and got our name out there a little bit. And in the art world, that's, you know, that's important to, to get that exposure and get some recognition that people kind of know who you are and where to find your work. And, and so that was a good boost uh, for us then at the time. And we were able to get out of that basement apartment and, and start growing a little bit. And, and, uh, and then from there, you know, different opportunities come along, shows, um, and different museums, uh, different galleries, and it, and it's just kind of grown from there over the years. How old were you when you won that uh, won that prize, fifty thousand dollars? So I would have been twenty seven. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow. That yeah, that is like the uh, like winning the lottery. I would imagine that's that's a really cool story. Um, uh, it was th- a huge surprise. Yeah. So in our conversation so far, and then in everything I read, one of the themes that seemed to stick out to me was your commitment to focus and hard work. Um, like you said, that you couldn't be a teacher, art teacher, and a professional artist, and just this this focus on um, you know working hard and and re- you know, uh, pushing yourself, pushing your artistic limits. Can you uh, just talk a little bit about what your typical work day looks like? Do you, you know, some of the artists that I've spoken with on the podcast approach it like they're punching a time clock, you know, working at a, a, a factory. You know, they show up every day, same time, get to work, work for 10 hours, punch out, and leave. And then some wait for inspiration to hit them and they may go on a tear for a few weeks and then not paint anything for a few weeks after that. And so where, where do you fall on that spectrum? Uh, I'm probably kind of somewhere in the middle, you know, a combination. I, it requires a lot of discipline, um, uh, working at home, running your own business, uh, you know, and especially as the artist, you know, there's no one that can step in and fill your shoes if you want to take a day off. And, uh, if you're not working, then things aren't rolling. And, and, uh, so it does require a certain amount of discipline. If you're going to make a living at it, you know, you do have to treat it as a business on some level and, and, uh, figure that out. And so, uh, yeah, you know, I try and, and have a schedule as best I can. I think that's important to have some consistency there and figure out, you know, and, and it varies from, year to year, month to month, depending on what shows are coming up, what deadlines you have. There are times where you're spending more time in the studio as you're trying to meet a deadline and you're working later and putting in more hours. And, and then sometimes when you finally get that work done and, and, uh, you can relax a little bit, maybe you, you take a, a day or two off here and, or don't put in quite as long hours as you were before. But so, you know, there's some variation there, but as best I can, you know, I, I get up in the morning and treat it like a job and, and get going and, and try and put in a certain amount of hours. Uh, you know, I set goals for myself about, uh, depending on, like I say, the shows or deadlines commitments that I have about how much work I need to be producing to meet, uh, those demands and, <clears throat> and figure out what I need to be doing per week, per month, you know? Uh, so, you know, I start there, but I tell you what, you know, sometimes these paintings just take on a life of their own. They just don't come together how you think they're going to come together. And they may take a little longer, you got to adjust with that. And, uh, and also just being at home and, and being close to family. Uh, you know, my studio is, it's connected to the home, but is as separate as possible. So I, I certainly have 
it's private and, and I can uh, have my space there. But you, when you're working at home, you can't help but get involved with what's going on and kids are coming in and out and they got things going. And, and uh, so, you know, your day can kind of get broken up a little bit that way. And or just uh, when people know you're home, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they call. You know, they need your neighbor needs you to help. Some they need help getting something moved or whatever. Oh, hey, Jason's home. I'll give him a call see if he can flip <laughs> over. You know, so you kind of deal with that uh, as well. And uh, I don't mind that. I feel really fortunate to be able to to be in a position to do those kind of things and be close to family and be able to pick up and go to a a, a band orchestra recital or a soccer game or those type of things when I can. I just feel really fortunate that I have that flexibility. But you have to be careful to to, to not take advantage of that too much. You know, work does need to be done if you're going to make a living and pay the bills and, and feed mouths and do all those things that you need to do. So uh, it, it's just finding that balance that works for you. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's great. And I read a, f- a few different articles that I read about you. You you mentioned several times about your desire to continue to push yourself artistically and to mm-hmm. kind of continue to expand yourself in that way. It's kind of along the same lines as this last question, but how do you go about doing that? I mean, are, do you have any specific techniques or, or, or things that you follow to, to, kind of force yourself outside of your comfort zone? Cause I would imagine, you know, like in, in sports or something, if you have a coach, that's the coach's job is to push you outside of that comfort zone. But if you're completely alone and you're doing something that's not quantitative, like in sports, you know, if you're running, you just need to get faster. But in what you're doing, it's extremely hard to measure whether or not you're um, pushing yourself, I guess. So how, over the years, how have you figured out to, how have you figured out how to push yourself and how do you, I don't know, for lack of a better word, measure that? Right. No, that's a great question. And it comes from a lot of different, uh, different angles, I guess. One thing I'm, I feel so fortunate to have a great friend is my wife and she's also a business partner. And so, you know, she can be a great motivator. She reminds me of, uh, okay, you got this coming up or we got to get this done and, and meet these commitments. And, and she keeps me on task, which is really helpful. And she's got a great eye for art and is a great critic. And so I, I lean on her a lot to, to help me uh, keep up with things. Uh, but as far as just, you know, personally trying to to uh, grow and uh, as an artist, uh, for me, I don't know, it seems to just come naturally just not being content <laughs> mm-hmm. with what I see when I'm finished, you know, it, uh, every painting, you know, you have this idealized image in your head of what you want it to be. And you, you start piecing things together and working on it. And boy, very rarely does it just meet that vision that I have initially. And so just this discontent sometimes motivates you to keep working and, and growing. Um, I remember talking to another artist one time and, and, and expressing my frustration a little bit, how I just haven't been happy with how things have been turning out and, it's not quite what I had envisioned, you know, and he's like, actually, you know, that's okay. He's like that, that frustration, that, that discontent, uh, shows that, uh, you want to keep growing and improving that if you get too content, then uh, you can kind of stand still and your art doesn't improve, uh, and you don't continue to develop yourself. And so, uh, I just keep, uh, putting myself out there and, and exposing myself to great art. I think it's important that you continue to research and study 
uh, get into the museums and and uh, and see great art, and, and it's very motivating. Uh, you know, we were my wife and I were in New York again last fall, and we're going through the Met and and just looking at some of those paintings. And even though I'm at 47 years old, I've been painting for you know 20 plus years. Uh, you just realize what an infant you are <laughs> as an artist, and, and how much growth uh, there still is to to attain. And and it's on, on one side, you're like, oh man, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's kind of discouraging and yet motivational at the same time. Uh, and uh, so you, you take those experiences and you go home and, and uh, you try new things, you experiment. And, and through that process, you, you find new uh, techniques and, and uh, new ways of, of applying the paint or just telling a, a story that, uh, that's different and new. And, and you continue to push yourself that way if you want to improve. When you're at museums or just looking back at the history of art, are there any um, are there any specific artists that come to mind that are that are very influential to your work? Well, I tell you, that list just continues to grow. And especially, you know, we were talking about technology there before we went on air and just the ability to 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 see things now with with the Internet uh, and stuff. You just can do so much more research than we used to be able to. And so that list of artists continues to grow as I find new uh, painters from history or even current living artists that are doing great work, you know, but, uh, uh, initially, like I said, in school, uh, my background was in illustration. And so, man, I just really fell in love with, uh, those, uh, older turn of the century, uh, illustrators, um, um, you know, your, your Dean Cornwell and, uh, Pruitt Carter, Saul Tepper, Walter Everett, Harvey Dunn, you know, all started a, a lot of them studying under the likes of a Howard Pyle, just, just those NC Wyeth, you know, Andrew Loomis, just, and the list could just go on forever. Uh, Norman Rockwell, you know, those painters that mm-hmm. just, I just am baffled at the amount of work that they could put out, the way that they worked under uh, time restraints and working under clients. The amazing art that they were able to do is I just think they were some of the greatest artists that lived. Uh, But, you know, you go back to Europe, too, and start studying some of those Italian painters and Russian painters. Uh, There's just so much wonderful art that's been done throughout history. And so to be able to get out and study that work and see it in person, but even to see it online, if that's all you have access to, you you can still learn a lot from that. And and uh, like I say, you just realize uh, that you can spend a lifetime and just and continue to learn and grow and improve. I, I just don't think you can ever really say, okay, I'm, I'm there, you know, I made it, I'm, I've reached that pinnacle. It just isn't possible in a lifetime when you see the, the fantastic work that's out there. So it, it's, it's really motivating to know that you, you can continue to just work at it and continue to grow and, and look ahead at the years to come. And, and I, you know, I, I'm hopeful that uh, I can continue to, to do that and that collectors and buyers see that in my work and it, and it keeps people excited about it uh, in, the, in the years to come. Yeah, that's, it seems that in a lot of the people that I've spoken with on this podcast, the common theme is kind of that um, discontent. And, it, you know, discontent sounds negative, but it's, I, don't, I don't mean it in a negative in a negative tone, but that discontent knowing that I can always do better. And then that looking towards the future, knowing that I can always learn more kind of that humble nature. And I think when you come, if you can combine those two, that discontent with the humble humbleness, 
if you can get the proportions right on that, it leads to great things. At least yeah. that's, that's what I've seen. <laughs> it, it leads to being really teachable. And that, I think that's key to, to uh, growing as an artist, to be able to work with your, your, with other artists currently out there. Uh, even though I've been in the, you know, going at it for a number of years now, I, I love, you know, take a workshop here and there and study from somebody else. There's just so much to be learned and gained and you can pick and choose little bits from different artists and different uh, people that you study with that you can apply to your own work. Well, yeah. And then that leads into my next question. Um, we were introduced by Teal Blake, who's just a, a unbelievably great guy. Sure. And you guys are in the Cowboy Artists of America together. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that organization, kind of the background, because Teal and I did not discuss that when he was on the podcast, but talk about that and then kind of what you get from being able to spend time and, and uh, be associated with all these other very talented artists. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the CA has been influential for me for from the get go, you know, when I first started painting and uh, started thinking about being uh, an artist and especially with the subject matter that I was going to choose to portray, then uh, boy, those cowboy artists of America, that group just jumps right out at you. Right. They were the pinnacle of, of portraying that subject matter through fine art. And uh, so, yeah, I've been following guys from that group for a lot of years. And they were my heroes, you know, and I thought, oh, how would it be uh, to be able to rub shoulders with them and pick their brains a little bit and, and, and spend time with them. And so to have that opportunity uh, now and be a part of that group, yeah, it's just been it's been awesome. And uh, but what's been maybe the most pleasant surprise that I didn't necessarily think about before is just the friendships that you develop with these guys as well. I mean, yeah, they're wonderful artists. Uh, I love following the work. I love talking art with them and, and talking about their careers and things that they're working on. And I learn a lot from that, but to just to be able to call them, you know, your friends and, and really spend time with them, just talking about life and families and things that are going on. It's, it's just been a real joy to be a part of that. And so a lot of your work and, you know, cowboy artists in general, you're, you're, um, depicting the past and your work, what I think is very neat about it is you, you do a lot in the past, but then you also do a lot of modern day, um, mm -hmm. thinking about the past. How do you, um, what, what books or, or resources do you consult or did you consult, I guess, early in your career to make sure that these paintings you're producing are historically accurate? Because mm -hmm. there's a lot more to it than just coming up with something in your head. I mean, there's, there's this historical aspect that, that has to be considered because the people who admire these photos, a lot of them are history buffs. And I'm, I imagine they could be pretty quick to point out any inconsistencies. Have there been any particular books or other artists or ph photographers that um, have helped you to kind of increase your knowledge of the history of the West and then paint it as accurately as you do? You know, I, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time just studying books for the historical accuracy. I mean, I think the most I mean, there are some great ones and there are some great photographers out there that are depicting Western life and, and just studying other artists and seeing what they're doing with it. Uh, and, it's, you know, like we, being a member of the Cowboy Artists of America, that's an important part of what we are all about is, is portraying history accurately as we portray the West and the lifestyle. And so so it is important. But I, I think you get really the best way to capture that historical accuracy is to be out in the field and uh, rub his shoulders with these guys. Now, if you're painting from the past, uh, you know, maybe in the 1800s, then 
Um, yeah, uh, you know, I have a, I, I have a few books that I'll, I'll, I'll lean on maybe there, but the, the bulk of my work right now is really contemporary cowboy. And, and, uh, so the, and that, and you can portray that some of, some of the aspects of, of cowboying and that lifestyle, uh, out on the range hasn't changed a lot, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you, it could, it could range from the fifties to, to now almost, uh, as far as when you get out there and you're just moving cows and uh, a lot of the gear and and the way you do things is is still really similar. Of course, there's been a lot of advancements in other ways, right? But as far as what I'm painting and trying to capture kind of that idealized moment, that romanticized moment of the cowboy out there in the land doing his thing, um, uh, it, it, some of that those things haven't changed a lot, which is wonderful. You know, I, I love that aspect of it. Um, so for me, I think it's talking to people that are living the life and being out there with them when they're doing the work, you see how it's done. You see how, uh, the, the, the horse moves and, and, and cap, you're able to capture those gestures accurately. And, uh, you know, so for me, that's been the most important part of capturing that, that accuracy. Yeah, I agree 100% about how it hasn't changed much because I'm I'm from North Carolina originally, so a lot of this is is all new to me. But like when I go to a branding, and you're out there, I mean, other than the the some of the the corrals and maybe the vaccines and the the gas uh, torch that's heating up the branding iron, otherwise it's exactly the same as it was in the in the 1800s. I mean, it's yep. just uh, I don't think there are many places, at least in the U.S., where you can have such a historical experience in modern day. And it's not a, it's not a reenactment. I mean, it's the real deal and it's, it's just as it was in the old days. And it's a, it's just a a really cool deal all the way around. Um, Yeah, it really is a lot. And a lot of these ranches, they take a lot of pride in still doing it like they did back then, you know, even though you may have some conveniences that would, would make the work a little more efficient. uh, There's times where they'll, they, they just, they like doing it, uh, almost in honor of uh, those to the past. And, and they just take a lot of pride in continuing those traditions as they've been handed down from generation to generation. So when you look back at your art, say, let's say 15 years ago, what, and then you look at your art today, what would be the biggest, um, the biggest change in the art? That's one, one part of the question. The second part of the question would be, what would be the biggest change in your artistic process? If, if there has been, Oh, good, good question. You know, uh, and sometimes you don't realize it till you, you run into a piece from 10 or 15 years ago and you're like, Oh wow. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, hopefully you do see, you know, that your work now is, is better. Uh, sometimes it's not something that you're always consciously thinking of, you know, this is, I'm going to do this different today. Uh, sometimes it, it just happens over time. It's just brush mileage on the, on the canvas, you know, uh, like anything that you do, the more you do it, the better. And, and, and if you continue to educate yourself and, and strive to improve, then the more you do it, uh, you just naturally are going to get better at it. Hope, and, uh, and hopefully uh, that's the same with what I'm doing. So, you know, a lot of times it isn't something, like I said, that I'm just consciously, okay, this is, I need to do this differently. It's just continuing to do it. You're continuing to expose yourself to great art and, and implementing little things here and there. And then over time, um, uh, you know, you just get better at it. Uh, but, you know, just to give you a couple of examples of things that, you know, I have thought over the years and then I'm hoping, you know, because hopefully your work is getting more and more refined. Mm-hmm. 
maybe um, is just taking a closer look at how you handle edges, you know, soft edges or hard edges here and there or getting better control of value and or, or, you know, maybe a big thing for me has been color. You know, I've kind of been known as a colorist a little bit. People have responded really well to, to the color I use in my paintings. But as I look back in some of those early years, some of those colors were a little too electric, you know, and bright. And so I've made an effort to, to learn how to gray those down. And you can still have a really strong, colorful piece, but it doesn't mean everything has to be bright colors. You, you learn how to manage those colors and control them and use them more effectively to, to capture the emotion or, or the, the realism that you're trying to portray. Yeah, that that's a great answer, and it's just it's always really interesting when you look at anybody's uh, a creative person's portfolio and and what they were doing at the beginning, and and then what they're doing now. And I think a lot of people will think, oh well, you know, they they are just a very talented artist, and and they're they've always been great. But you, even musicians, you know, you look at like say Billy Joel. I was listening to something about Billy Joel the other day, and his first record that came out, and it was a podcast, and they played part of it, and it was just not anything like what today's Billy Joel sounds like. And, it's, right. and I think it's always important to remember that there's, that it's a process and you just, it just takes time. I mean, decades to, to be, kind of become the, the full version of yourself as an artist. At least that's what I've observed from afar. Yeah, it's really true. And it's, it's sometimes it's, it's really helpful to see an artist that you really admire now and, and then have a chance to see their work early on. And you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> be surprising. So they weren't always this way. And, and I had a, I have a neighbor down the street who is a cousin to Jim Norton, you know, who's one of my favorite artists, and he's a member of the Cowboy Artists of America. And and this is a piece from early in the '70s, and I I can't even remember how he acquired it, but uh, he says, "Yeah, you need to come see this Jim Norton piece I have." And and I went and had a look at it, and and uh, you know it. There, it was it was a nice piece, but compared to what he's doing now, you mm-hmm. know, it just it didn't compare. It wasn't even close. And he's even said, "Yeah, Jim, when he found out I had it, he's tried to take it back. He even offered to <laughs> it. want to have it even out there. You know, he was embarrassed of it. And he's like, no way, I'm not giving it up.' And he's held on to it uh, all these years because he loves it. You know, uh, but still to see it, and you're like, okay, you know, I, you know, maybe I can continue to grow and improve and to and someday get to where th- these guys are at." Yeah, it's, it's kind of inspiring, you know, if, if you're willing, if you are willing to put in the hard work and you can see stuff like that, I think it can be, uh, it could be very inspiring to know, you know, I, what I'm doing now is great, but if I just keep hammering away, keep going, 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 it'll, it'll only get better. Um, yeah, exactly. That's really neat. So professional art is obviously an extremely um, challenging business. If you just look at it strictly from a business standpoint, I think there so many people would love to be a professional artist, just like they'd love to be an author or love to be a professional musician. But the reality is there, there, are, there are a lot of talented people, but there's also the, the business aspect. And we've touched on this a little bit, um, right. but can you talk a little bit about maybe – techniques there or how you've how you've made it as a professional artist you touched on your wife as being very influential and helpful as a business partner can you talk maybe talk a little bit about what she's done to help um on the business side of things oh yeah yeah and and you and you're right that's probably been the most challenging part and the part that you don't really think about when you decide to do this you know you just love art and you love painting and i'm going to be an artist you know and then 
you realize, oh, wow, yeah, there's a whole business side to it and paperwork and taxes and figuring out the best way to to set up your business, you know, to to take advantage of those things. And and so it's been a real learning process. And and uh, like like I mentioned, you know, I really couldn't do it without my wife. Um, She's whenever I talk about my art, it's 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 we it's us. It just has been a team effort from the get go. And so I just feel so fortunate that she's uh, been on board and been so supportive. And I'll be honest, she just makes my life really easy. I get up and I head to the studio and I paint and uh, she's handling the paperwork. She meets with the accountant. You know, I don't think my accountant would even recognize me if I passed him on the street. I haven't (laughs) seen him for so many years because she's just handled uh, that side of it, uh, you know, and, and the social media side of things can just be really time consuming. And she's kind of picked up that as well. And so, like I said, I, I really couldn't do it without her. I, I, it would be a certainly much more of a struggle. So I'm really grateful. And, and it's been fun for us to work on it together and kind of build this life together. Uh, as a couple, it, it really has been fun. And that's one reason we chose to, to try it in the beginning. We saw the opportunity that it could afford us, uh, raising a family, uh, time together and, and, uh, flexibility and whatnot. But, but on the flip side, you know, it is a lot of work and, uh, there's a lot to be learned about running the business. And, and the challenging part is, is it, it, boy, it just continues to change so quickly, uh, back when we got started in the mid nineties, 95 is kind of when I decided to, to pursue art full time. I mean, it was just kind of a simpler process. Uh, you relied on the galleries, uh, to, to handle and, and market your work. That really was the only venue. And, uh, you know, I just stayed home and painted and shipped things out or took it to the gallery and hopefully you got a check once in a while, you know, mm-hmm. and, th- and that was kind of it. And, and it was really simple. And, and now it's really changed with, uh, uh, the internet and things are just so much more global and, uh, people have access to see things differently and it's changed things for the artists. It's changed things for the galleries. New things have popped up with just the museum shows and the, and the auctions. And so, uh, what the great thing about it is it, it allows you to, to run your business in a way maybe that fits your personality better. I mean, artists, there's a lot of successful artists that are running their businesses, really differently, you know, sure. Some, some are able to do it and uh, marketing their own work themselves and just selling it themselves. Uh, others are, you know, there's still a lot of work that's being sold through the galleries or these shows. Uh, it's just really changed a lot with the internet, with social media. There's a lot of different avenues now of, of, of ways to get your work out there and get some exposure and meet clients and, and sell your work. So it's constantly changing and, and we're still trying to figure out the best way to do it. And, and it varies from year to year. And depending on the shows you have and the commitments you have, uh, you might approach things differently from year to year, even and how you do it. So if looking back, if you could speak to your 23 year old self and you could give, give that guy some advice on, on what maybe what he could do differently or what he could expect, um, knowing everything, you know, now, what, what would that advice be? Oh, wow. That's that's a tough question, you know, because sometimes life just runs its course, you know, and here we are. And and I just feel so fortunate and, and blessed to be where we are now. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it just happened as it was meant to happen. Um, uh, maybe the best advice is just 
not to take life too seriously sometimes. You know? <laughs> I can it, use that it, advice. <laughs> you just get, get so caught up into it. I, I guess the best advice maybe I would give myself is just to learn how to enjoy the journey. You know, uh, it's really easy to look past the present and you, and you think, well, once we get here, uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll be happier. We'll, we'll have made it or you just, you're always, and it's good to set goals, right. To continue to grow. But sometimes we can look past, uh, uh, past the present and, and miss out on a lot of the joy and the really neat experiences that are happening right now uh, in your life by by looking too far ahead in the future. So, And I know I've been guilty of that. You know, you just get caught up in the worries and stresses of life and you think, man, if we could just get here, or if this would just happen, then we'll be okay. And and looking back, you realize, you know what? We were okay. <laughs> Things work out, you know, just, just, uh, you just got to realize, you know, don't worry too much about it. Things will work out, you know, work hard and, uh, you know, live your life the best you, you know how and, and, uh, prioritize the things that are most important and, uh, and just keep after it, you know, that's Enjoy great it. advice. I need to follow all that better, especially the part about enjoying the, the present moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on it, though. <laughs> um, well, I've got some quick questions that I've asked pretty much everybody I've had on the podcast, and I've really enjoyed comparing and c- contrasting those answers with everybody else. And we've gotten some some great – I've gotten personally some great book recommendations out of some of these questions. And so I'd like to run through these with you real quick, and then I'll I'll let you get back to your day. Um, but, but again, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, first question is, do you have any favorite books related to the American West and any favorite, bo- favorite books in general, um, either one? Right. Oh. Uh- Good question. Boy, I used to be a lot more of a reader than I am now. I mean, now now my whole library is just art books, right? You know, yeah. I just I just love collecting art books, and and there's not real. I don't know if I really have a favorite. Probably they'd go back to those old, old illustrators. I have some great uh, older books that highlight some of those old illustrators, like a Dean Cornwell book, and and uh, you know, I just love going back through that. So of course, with what I do, um, the art books are important to me and and inspiring. But, you know, as I looked at this question, I something that probably just really got me going and a love of the West. I'll bet by the end of ninth grade, I'd read every Louis L'Amour and and most Max brand Westerns out there. And it just really instilled a love for the West and that that romance that it portrays. And and uh, it's it served as a motivation to continue on uh, and, and choosing the subject matter that I wanted to portray as an artist. You know, I think you're the first person on this podcast. I think I've done like 45 of these things. You're the first person to mention Louis L'Amour, which I think is okay. amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy because that comes up in my, my my job as a ranch broker, you know, talking with people on ranches. And so many people say Louis L'Amour books. They just love them. But that's right. that's funny that you're the first person to mention that because that, that should be towards the top of the list for people, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. Every once in a while, I'll still pull one out and go back just for reminiscing, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, do you have any favorite films or documentaries? And they don't have to be about the West, just any in general. Oh, again, you know, there's there's some that, uh, boy, I'm getting pickier, I think, as I get older. there's. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I have a harder time finding films that I, that I really like uh, now. And so I'm always drawn back to 
things that inspired me when I was younger. And of course I was a huge John Wayne fan. So I loved, uh, you know, some of my favorite films and I still like to watch them now is like the Cowboys, mm-hmm. uh, big Jake, some of those early movies, but I grew up in a real musical family and so did my wife. And, and we love supporting uh, the theater and, and, uh, keeping up on that. And so, uh, just recently this year, you know, and this might sound totally out of character for what we've been talking about, but I love the uh, greatest showman that came out this year with, uh, I heard that was really good. It was just a just a good, fun, entertaining movie. If you just want good, clean, fun entertainment, it was it was it was and it, and just really beautifully done. The music's wonderful. So that was Hugh Jackman, the, right? About the, yeah. about uh, the uh, Barnum, uh, Barnum Barnum Barnum. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Barnum, yeah, just Barnum specifically and how he got started in his thing. So I don't know how historically accurate it is, and I didn't really care. I just enjoyed the movie. It was just a fun watch. Yeah, well, my parents actually mentioned that to me the other day and said that they had enjoyed it. And I, I read a book recently about Theodore Roosevelt and the natural history movement in, during that time frame. And Barnum played a big role in that whole uh, the, kind of the uprising of, of the focus on natural history in the U.S. And so, I'd, yeah, I'd love to see that. And I like Hugh Jackman. He's he's super cool. <laughs> yeah, you'd enjoy it. Um, so you've, you've always got an got a extremely full life between – art and your family and spending time outdoors. Are there any other activities you enjoy doing that we haven't spoken about? I saw on your Instagram, it looks like you, you like riding road bikes. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and again, that might sound a little out of character for what I do, but, uh, you know, uh, several years ago, I, I guess it would have been right around 2000. I was, I was talking to a friend and just telling him, yeah, I just am getting kind of stuck in the studio. I need to find something to get me out and get some fresh air and, and just get moving a little bit, you know, and he's like, you know, you ought to just come borrow my bike. He, he's a big time biker. He's like, just come borrow my bike. It was a mountain bike then and, and take it for a few weeks and give it a try and see what you think. And, oh man, I just, I just found that I really enjoyed uh, being out, out on the country roads and, and just, you know, getting that fresh air. It was, and moving and getting the blood flowing. It was awesome. And so ever since then, uh, I bought, we've, we've bought mountain bikes and yeah, now into the road bikes, we build a home out further out in the country where the tiger, you know, and so uh, we got road bikes so we could cover the ground a little bit faster. And so we enjoy doing that together. And I, or I just go out on my own just to, to get moving and see the country and get some fresh air. We take our bikes with us when we go up, whenever we travel as best we can go up to Jackson and bike through the Teton park. And, and so it's, it's something that's been fun for us to do together as a couple, but it's been really beneficial for me just to get out of the studio and get some air and, and get moving and, and refocus things. So yeah, I really enjoy doing that. I used to do a ton of road biking and I love it because you can go out and you can spend a few hours, you cover a lot of ground, you're not beat up when you get back like you are running. And I actually used to live yeah. in Jackson and I would do a loop from town out, out, uh, through, uh, kind of through the park and then, then back around and there would be bison out running around. And those are some of my favorite memories, road biking anywhere. It's just a magical. Yeah, it is. That's probably one of our face favorite places to bike is up through Teton park. Yeah, it's awesome. So all the time you spent outdoors, um, is there one memory that comes to mind? That's kind of the most powerful experience you've ever had in the outdoors. And that could be, the scariest, the funniest, the most intense, just uh, um, and uh, a certain event that comes to mind as just being a very powerful experience in the outdoors. Oh boy, there's been there's quite a, been quite a few, you know. There's just something about it's just kind of a 
it's just kind of a spiritual experience sometimes being that close to, to nature and, and close to God when you're out outdoors. And so I love it. But uh, I guess one one that's pretty recent and fresh on the mind that was really special for the two of us, we just celebrated our uh, uh, 25th anniversary and uh, decided to go on a little trip. And so we went to Greece mm. and uh, spent some time out on the islands there. And uh, boy, we just had some amazing experiences being out on some hikes, uh, watching the sun go down uh, over the ocean there on some of these islands that was just unbelievable. Uh, and so they, they were really special and I think probably just cause they're so unique to what we're used to here, but, uh, but for where we're at and boy, there's just nothing like being up in the mountains and, uh, seeing the sun come up or go down and, and, uh, especially if you're on horseback, there's nothing like it. Yeah, I agree. That's why I live out here. <laughs> um, so speak, that's kind of along the, the same lines of that question. Where is your favorite place in the West? If you had to pick one place, it could be a ranch or a certain mountaintop or a lake. Is there is there one place that comes to mind as being your absolute favorite? Well, I'll tell you what, we're pretty content with where we're at. But if we... Uh, I just love being up in that Jackson Hole, Wyoming area. Uh, so we get up there several times every year, and we just we never get sick of it. We love it. There's just so much to do. It's a, it's a great combination of being outdoors and the beautiful scenery, and like we talked about, getting out on a bike or a hike, uh, and then you got the art uh, is there as well. So for us, it's just like the perfect combination of a lot of things that we're interested in. And we love getting on the water as well, and. It just there's just so much to do that that we just really enjoy our time up there. If I had to pick a place, that's probably my favorite. Yeah, it's hard to beat. I mean, really, if you love anything about the West, whether it's the the, the hunting, fishing, mountain climbing, kayaking, I mean, it's you can do it all right there. I, I remember one time I came home from work and there was a moose standing in my front yard in Jackson, and I was thinking, yeah, this is this is the West. <laughs> um, <laughs> So final uh, of these kind of quick questions, and it's a, it's a difficult one, but it, it has led to some pretty interesting answers. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I've, I've known a lot of amazing people and, and uh, just even in my family, I know I've received a lot of great advice. But someone I really admire is a man, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley, and, and I'm kind of a, a simple guy. So this really resonated with me, just the simple message, but uh, how powerful it is. And I just remember him saying once, get on your knees and pray, then get on your feet and go to work, you know, <laughs> That's good. and I've, uh, I've just tried to kind of live my life by that motto and, and it served me well. And, uh, you know, that combination, uh, it's just the key to a lot of being happy and being successful in a lot of things. So, uh, I try and apply that every day and, and it's, it seems like I say to serve me well and get me through. So if you could make a request of the people who are listening to this podcast, and it could either be a request or it could be a, you know, offer some words of wisdom or some advice that you've uh, kind of gathered over your life, is there, and the people who listen to this podcast, they, they just love the American West in one way or the other, and whether it's through art or through conservation or ranching or outdoor sports, wide variety, but they all love the West in one way or the other. Um, is there any words of wisdom you'd like to impart to them as we kind of finish up here? Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I don't know. You said it. I, I just just get out and enjoy it, you know, be, be a part of it. Uh, it's it's hard to really understand it or appreciate it if you don't get out and see it and be a part of it. So come and experience it. 
and uh, and and respect it at the same time for what it is and what it represents. It's important that we uh, that we respect it so that we can enjoy it for years to come, and for future that future generations can enjoy it as we do. So. Uh, you know, when you just talk about the West in general, that boy, that, that involves a lot of different things. And that's the, the awesome thing about the West is there is so much you can do to cater to your own interests. So, so, uh, yeah, just, just come out and enjoy it and, and respect it. I agree 100%. So how can people connect with you online and find out more about your work? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so the website, uh, Jason Rich Studios, um, just a good representation of what I do and, and work uh, for sale and, and biography. If you just want to learn about me personally and our family and the, and the work, see the work that I'm doing, then that's a great place to go. I'm also on Instagram, uh, Jason Rich, uh, if I remember, Jason Rich under slash art and uh, Facebook, Jason Rich Cowboy Artists. So we're, we're trying our best. It's not my forte by any means, but we're trying our best to, to get out there and, and keep up with technology and, and be a, have a presence on social media and, and do what we can so people can find us and find out about our work. Yeah, well, I'll have links to everything on the webpage so people can quickly find it. But thank you so much for doing this. This was really, really fun, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Ed. I appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. Hey, it's Ed again. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and thanks for listening to that particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, I've got three quick things. Number one, if you like the podcast, please do me a huge favor. Either pass it along to a friend who may be interested, share it on your social media, and or go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. All those things would mean a lot to me, and they would really help to spread the word about the podcast. Number two, if you've listened to many of these episodes, you know that I love reading and I love talking about books. Every other month, I send out a quick email with a few books that I've recently read and highly recommend. The subjects are varied, but they're pretty much all nonfiction with an emphasis on history, biographies, adventure narratives, and topics related to the American West. There are no sales pitches for ranches, no spam, no other kind of nonsense, just books. So if you'd like to sign up for the list, head to Mountain and Prairie slash reading or just go to Mountain and Prairie and there's a massive tab at the top that says book recommendations. Click on it. There are a ton of good books that I've read. Some of the old email lists are on there. Uh, You can go crazy. There are a lot of books. And finally, if you know anyone I should interview for the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. All my contact info is at mountainandprairie.com, and I'm on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to have some recommendations and suggestions of interesting people I should meet. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.